0: Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around
1: Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that has requested a DNA test for the faeces found on the podcast sofa
2: Brought to you by Gislaine Maxwell House the
1: coffee that will make you never sweat. Wow, that explains a lot. Um, (laughs) I think I've got the opposite of what Prince Andrew's got. (laughs) Are you sweating sweating for him as well? I think so. Uh, I was doing the dishes earlier, and I was dripping, honestly. It's quite muggy, to be fair, but um, yeah. Yeah, it is that kind of weather. Uh,
0: Today seems all right, but yeah, yesterday it was like... Just you just felt like you're sweating doing anything. It wasn't didn't even seem that hot. It was very odd. Yeah. Odd phenomenon. Felt like I was in the tropics. Um. But anyway, we are here for episode 156 of the Stick Around Podcast. Massive. And it is massive. And I'm going to be uh, talking about stuff alongside my fellow experts, um, Alex Wayne. I will. And Michael Johnson.
2: What up, dog?
0: Wow that was a <laughs> very street um i know right uh, what, what what have we all been uh, up to in lockdown has it been a particularly eventful week i'm just um, you, you talk cuz i'm thinking i can't think of a single thing i've done this week but there must be something
1: um well i w- me and michael went for some socially distanced day drinks although michael just had water yesterday A little barbecue that was fun saw a few people we hadn't seen in a while um I ha- I should probably I had water because I drank on Friday night.
2: Um I had what would have previously seemed like a pretty minuscule amount of alcohol, but is now apparently enough to make me hung over. So that's that's where my tolerance is now at. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I know what you mean about um if I'm feeling particularly hungover I can't start drinking again. I know there used to be a bit of a hair of the dog. Yeah. Just not feeling I'm just like I don't even want to look at beer right now.
2: <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Not at okay. all.
1: I find the, o- yeah, the only time when I can, old, I the only time I can do it is when I'm on like a stag do, where I'm forced mm. into a situation where I'm going to be drinking again, regardless. Uh, it seems my body yeah. adjusts to that.
0: Well, I think once you start drinking again, it's all right. But just it's the, the, the psychological of test <laughs> of actually proceeding. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah
0: exactly. Um, I've not done a lot. I'm trying to think of anything. We've got next week off, so we're up to uh, we're uh, going up to Northumberland for a few days. Should be good just do some walking and stuff. Be good to get out of the house. I'm excited about that. Um yeah, other than that,
1: not not loads happening. Just the usual. Just the usual. I um I saw something on Twitter the other day actually about another Dublin. Um I th- I think you pronounce it Bamborough Castle. Uh oh, yeah, it's got, I've been there. It's got a cricket ground, um, that's right under its shadow basically. Which looks like it oh, must yeah, be yeah. one of the best places to play sport in the world. Like, you know, you see these football pictures. Oh, yeah. Next to yeah. a volcano. Uh, next to a castle is pretty good as well.
0: Yeah, it, to be fair, I've never really thought about that. We went up there um, in October with the Olds family, which is why we're going again, because it was really nice. And we did go to Bamburgh Castle, and I didn't know exactly what you're talking about. I just didn't really th- put it in my head that it was a cricket ground. It makes sense. It's like a really large grass patch <laughs> outside the front of it. Uh, that would be a really nice place to play cricket, but you could, you could smash a window if you knock a good six.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's... There's no chance of that if I was playing. I'd be lucky to hit the ball. But uh, someone um, at
2: uh, you just reminded me. Someone at work the other day mentioned that uh, when they played cricket when they were younger, uh, there was a goth on their team, and uh, I'm just I'm just intrigued by the concept of goth cricket. To be honest,
1: goth goth cricket.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they meant by a goth, so.
1: No, but yeah, but you do get some people who think that anybody who's vaguely alternative a musher. A musher. is a mosher or a goth. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, you've been caught listening to metal. <laughs>
1: yeah. That is pretty Watch much out. the criterion. Yeah,
0: he look he looks normal, but he, <laughs> you've got two you no idea
1: <laughs> two black items of clothing, goth
0: <laughs> uh, or hipster. I love it when people get called hipster because they're wearing something. Re- you know, I don't know. Just sometimes you get gold hipster for the funny stuff it's because they it's like, listen
2: to Arctic right? Monkeys or something. Oh yeah, you,
0: just, you do anything that's remotely fashionable.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you hipster knobhead. <laughs> you made You caught listening. I started. You caught on. listening to Coldplay and Foo Fighters, Mosha <laughs> Oh wow,
0: yeah. I'd like to think, see the person who thinks that. And your, uh,
2: your Coldplay hoodie.
0: <laughs>
2: you agree, Grebo. <laughs>
0: oh jeez. Um, anyway, so 160, episode hundred and sixty-six, nearly like nineteen sixty-six, uh, the year that England last did anything decent Isn't in it? football.
1: I thought it was one hundred and fifty-six.
0: Oh, you're right. Shit, it's not it's not anything like it's not anything like nineteen.
1: It, it might as well be nineteen fifty-six
2: that England last won anything.
0: Yeah, it might as well be, to be fair. Uh, when are the Euros? Have they been delayed till next year? Or what's happening? Yeah, I, I know so, they've been delayed. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Just till next year. Okay. Great. So there's going to be uh, Euros followed by World Cup in a, in subsequent years? Yes,
2: although yeah. the World Cup will be at Christmas time, let's remember, because it's in Qatar. Oh, yeah,
0: of course it is. Uh, does that mean it's earlier or later? Later, like four months later, Is it? Okay. Five right. months later. That makes sense. Excellent. Switzerland will be winning that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. We've got c- quite the lineup. So, all I'm going to say is prepare. So. What is
2: Switzerland's best World Cup performance? I'm not sure. I'm guessing um, quarter-finals at some stage.
0: If we've ever got out of the group stage, I'd be amazed. I think we managed. Oh, no, I think we did. We got out. I think we were the team that managed to get out of the group stage. Doing the shittest, basically. All right. Yeah. In history, like I think we were the only people to get out the group stage not scoring a goal or something wank like that. <laughs> well,
1: like we've got some, some shit. Record. One, it? Three oh, nil nils. Was it?
2: Was it? Was it, uh, was it Switzerland who were the only team to beat the iconic Spanish team when they won the 2010 World Yeah, one? it was,
0: and it was yeah. the best match I've ever seen because it, we were just getting battered for the entire match, and then we did one counter attack, and they balls coming up. God,
2: <laughs> that's that's, that's and worth it.
0: Yeah, this is. It was like one of those games of FIFA where you just—I used to have against Josh a lot. (laughs) Where I can't remember, I can't remember which way around it was. I think I'd be. I think it was like I played Switzerland v France, and um, Hakan Yakin had a particularly good record against Josh. So I always played him, even when he was like forty. And but I was absolutely dominating the entire match. I just couldn't finish, and then he had like two shots towards the end of the
1: game, one two nil. I was fuming. Oh no! Absolutely fuming.
0: Speaking of, yeah, it was like.
1: It was like that. Go on. Speaking of Josh, we owe the uh, listeners an apology. Oh, yeah. And Josh, yeah, we... Uh, we missed off a vital queef uh, last week. We so there's going to be double queef this week, oh. as I understand.
0: There is, and we're going to do it. it um, we're going to do queef earlier. Yeah, and this is um, he's. I've got two queefs in reserve because of the fact we missed one. He's asked for this one. I've asked him for clarification today, which one he'd rather send. So this is uh, his queef. It is very short. But to the point. So we're doing two. We're doing
2: two now, are
0: we? No, no, we're doing one.
2: Oh, we just we'll doing one? Have, we'll okay,
0: keep one in reserve. Yeah. No,
2: okay. we're doing
1: one, but we're we're doing them earlier th- rather than. I thought we, the we
2: were going to have Queef bookends there. One at the start and one at the
0: end. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, we could. We could yeah, let
1: Let's do the bookends. Put him under pressure <laughs> okay. for a new one.
0: Come on. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, this is the first one. Are we ready?
1: Yeah.
2: Eighty thousand Ford is probably peak man.
1: 80s Harrison Ford is peak man is that what he said yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know what I think I
2: agree with him Yeah. I also, fair f- fair I also feel that whatever happens that should probably be the episode title
0: <laughs> peak man or Harrison Ford
2: the whole thing 80s Harrison man is Harrison man Harrison Ford is peak man <laughs>
0: Um, yeah when he sent me that actually I was like I want to be outraged because it's a queef but you just nailed it I can't think of anyone <laughs> yeah, else who more mean, encapsulates yeah. man to me yeah yeah it's that cheeky one-sided smile yeah you know yeah. bit of a cheeky bit, sense of humour
1: bit roguish you know
0: bit of a rogue yeah
1: good looking in shape but not ripped so, you know yeah like, yeah,
0: <coughs> realistic
1: yeah attainable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Great films as well, you know, you've got um, Blade Runner, you've got, pretty sure, all three of the Indiana, Indiana Jones in the 80s. I think so, yeah. Um, the Future well, Dave, that might have been the 80s, or that might have been 90s, actually. Was uh, any of
0: the Star Wars in the 80s?
1: Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure the last, uh, definitely the last one was in the 80s, that was 86, I think. Maybe The Empire Strikes okay. Back as well?
2: I'm I think that's true. Sure, maybe, was that? I can't that- remember. Oh that might have snuck we in you know. Late 70s. I, I think it was I thought it was like 79 but I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's,
0: it's somewhere around there. When we're late, late 70s 80s Harrison Ford is peak man. Yeah that's <coughs> absolutely. Yeah,
1: just that was when the uh the the man gender if you like peaked. you <laughs> know it's never coming yeah, back like it. it's never it's
0: completely gone down
2: the pan now. Oh, yeah Empire strikes back 1980 there you go. Wow there oh, you go bang
1: yeah. on. Peak man, eighties. More evidence for the
0: yeah. <laughs> more evidence for Josh's case, which I can't think of a single thing against, which is unusual. Yeah. Um, I mean, I will say that the, the 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 next bookend will cause somewhat more controversy.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you could say it's a perfect bookend. Perfect quick. Um Great. Right. Let's get started. So I think we went to Michael first last week. Cause I remember doing that noise. So we're going to go to. Alex Wayne in Stockton, and we're going to do the uh, cho-chum, 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 for the uh, <laughs> passenger railway. Which did you invent, or I can't remember what you did.
1: Um, Stockton to Darlington, the world's first passenger railway.
0: Oh wow! Okay, yeah. yeah. Is it now in display at that museum? Um, oh, I've been to it because Elle's nephew's obsessed with oh, trains. And I can't remember which York. one we went to. Yeah that's it.
1: Um, I don't know it should be if it's not. Um, I think
0: there is one there because I seem to remember thinking of you when I saw it. Yeah, <laughs>
2: If,
1: if you're obsessed with trains this is God's country. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah I know he's got it <laughs> trains and tractors. We've got
1: Stockton, we've got Thornaby we've got Eaglesclift, Allen's West, you know the lot. <laughs> oh yeah, Allen's West.
0: Um, those toy ones that I forgot the name of. <laughs> what are they called again? Oh, fucking it. I can't remember. It'll come to me. But anyway, we're going to you, Alex Wayne, in Stockton. What have you got for us? Last week you had Last of Us 2, which was an excellent discussion. So
1: uh, no well, pressure. yeah. No pressure, yeah. Okay, well, it's uh, a f- I'm going to be talking about a film that is new to me, but is from 2016. Um, it's been on my Netflix list for a while. Um, I can't remember why I put it on there, but I was flicking through it idly, and um, I just noticed, it. I read the description, it looked pretty good. And I'll be honest, I did look it up to see if it had been critically well-received because I don't want to waste my time with something that's absolute gash. Uh, and it was, you know, fairly well-received, so I thought I'll give it a go. Uh, it's a film called. It's an indie film called Tramps. Uh, it's loosely described as a comedy film, although I'm not sure I would completely go that way. Uh, directed by someone called Adam Leon, who is not famous for anything else. Uh, it stars Callum Turner, who people might know from Green Room. Um, he plays one of the punk band uh, from that film. And uh, Grace Van Patten, who people may know from a few different things. Um, a first famous role, by the way, was starring in The Sopranos as one of Meadow Sopranos' friends. That interested me. Her dad is the director Tim Van Patten. who's done a few things. Um, this is set in New York City. Um, the, the main character's are two young kids basically who get roped into what looks like a convoluted and shady deal where uh, they've got to trade a briefcase uh, with a woman at a metro stop and then they'll get paid uh, about a thousand dollars each It goes wrong, they trade the briefcase with the wrong person uh, and then they go on a mission basically to get it back this is kind of classic indie fair really um right down to the music. do you know what I mean by kind of American indie music film almost a bit twee the music does that
0: yeah I get I get what you mean yeah almost well, like um kind of uh, um Juno type music like anti-folk yes think yes some- yeah
1: no yeah it is very much in that kind of manner um I don't have a huge amount to say on this uh, I don't have any you know massive points but um it was really fun. Uh, it clocks in at just under an hour and a half, which to me is always very appealing. If I can see a mm. short little taut film like that, I'm thinking, that's well made, and it, it is. The performances are charming, um, the chemistry is believable between the two characters, and for the majority of the film, it's not about a, you know a romantic gathering at all, although it does go that way. Um, it's more about them in desperation trying to get this briefcase back, and there is a level of threat to the film. Uh, the people who they've lost the briefcase by are threatening them, but the level of threat never seems that intense. So, although it is a thriller as such, um, the atmosphere is fairly light-hearted. Um, they travel through New York City, they travel through the suburbs of an extremely wealthy family. Um, I don't think the film has anything greatly relevant to say about you know our society. You're not going to come away with... Um, thinking about this one for for days on end but it's a very enjoyable film it's very well crafted and i would have been interested to see adam leon make some more films actually but it doesn't appear that he has um and I, I i was very impressed um i hadn't heard of this one before i put it on my list so i'm guessing it's not massively well known um had you heard of this one clive hey, can you just tell me the name again trust it
0: Tramps? No, I haven't. I thought uh, the concept. I definitely haven't heard of. So I didn't think (laughs) I'd. But it sounds great. I'll have to check it out.
1: Yeah, it's good. I mean, like I said, it's not don't get me wrong. It's not life changing, uh, but it's Mm -hmm. it's well shot. Um, It's indie without. If you if you change the soundtrack, it wouldn't be that knowingly indie. Uh, You get some indie films which I've enjoyed, but are almost a little bit I don't know too self knowing, too much very much in their own genre. Um, this one kind of sticks away from that and it's just good filmmaking, but uh, the music is a bit of a letdown, actually. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the music, by the way, but you know, it's you're kind of putting yourself in a pigeonhole with that. Um, I'm guessing, Michael, you hadn't heard of this. Nope, no, anything about it no. Okay. Callum Turner, by the way, he's the guy, he's. Oh, he's British, by the way, I didn't know that. But he is one of the, the first to die in Green Room. If that makes any sorry spoilers, people. <laughs> what a niche reference.
0: Yeah, well, I haven't seen. Yeah, Green Room is the one about the band that goes. I need to watch that. Oh, that's such that's a, a good a class film. film. Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely brilliant. It.
1: Like that was. But you've just ruined it. Somebody dies. Lots of people die. Um, so
0: all right, ruin it some more.
1: <laughs> now Green Room is one of those films that um, I went in with you know pretty high expectations, but it was just so much better than I expected as well. Um it gets very underrated. Um Plus
2: it's even more timely now in the sense that oh, yeah. it's set in a sort of a Nazi um venue. And when when you when I was watching it, I remember thinking, yeah, well this is uh, you know this is the fringes of America. But now you probably wouldn't think that.
1: No, the, the these guys are turning up at rallies armed with AR fifteens to protect their rights, allegedly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that has little to do with tramps, but uh, aside yeah, from yeah. the one cast member. But um, yeah, don't have a huge amount more to say about tramps. And honestly, I was looking for some interesting facts and tidbits, and nobody seems to have written much about it. Um, it's available on Netflix, I think they've got the exclusive rights. Um, it is well. Is it, a
0: ne- it seems like it's a Netflix original when I was just looking. Or is it?
1: Well, yeah, well I think they bought the rights to it. I'm not sure if right, it was shown. Okay. I'm not sure if it was shown somewhere else first. Um, but yeah, I I would say if you look, at let's say you're on an evening, um, you know you're in from work, you fancy watching a new film, but you don't want to be me, you know, you don't want to jump into a big intellectual um, thing. You don't want to be reading subtitles necessarily, but you equally don't want something stupid. Uh, this is a great little mm-hmm. thriller, uh, which I'd recommend.
0: Cool, great, sounds good. I'm going to add it to my Netflix list because. Yeah. Uh, whenever I'm looking, it's just a ball like, isn't it? You're like, oh, what film do I want to watch? And then you're scrolling through. <sighs> Difficult. Whereas if you've got a list, it's like wicked. Yeah. Press and, on the list. And
1: you've got to admit, 83 minutes as a running time is pretty sexy. That is. It is,
0: yeah. It does always. I always I'm always. i always grateful when I look at the running time and it's near the uh, nearer the hour and a half mark than yeah. the two hours yeah.
1: mark. <laughs> I would say somewhere between 80 to 90 minutes is, you know, that is the big tick for me when i'm looking for something to watch i mean Hmm. most of my favorite films are longer than that to be fair but you know when you're looking for something new especially
0: Hmm. yeah and i've rarely come out of a film like that and thought that needed to be longer yes Um, whereas i guess with longer films but necessarily especially some of my favorite films are also a lot longer but i suppose i haven't come out of them thinking (laughs) that could have been shorter but i don't know there's definitely something to be said for um fitting something into a shorter
1: time span Well, that's kind of your philosophy when it comes to albums as well isn't
0: it not yeah it is definitely i again i appreciate if i ever if I, like look at an album and i see that it's less than half an hour i get that similar sort of thing of like oh wicked because i feel like and um, particularly with albums it's rare that you can listen i think with film you watch the film and you've absorbed most of the film and what it meant in one sitting if you know what i mean to some extent there's you could watch it again and get some other meanings from it, but there 's way more of it on the surface than in, a, in music i 'd say it 's rare in music you listen to something once through and then mm-hmm. you know you feel like you 've got the knack of it whereas with something under half an hour that can sometimes happen, and there 's something a bit nice about that um, where you feel like you 've been able to keep your attention fully on it for that amount of time and get i don 't know get something from it as an experience in one go. Whereas if it's longer, it tends to... Something else will have grabbed your attention at some point and you'll have got dragged out of it because it's easier for that to happen with music than it is with um, films and stuff, obviously. So, yeah, it's just for that reason, I guess. But there's plenty of my favourite albums that are a lot longer than that. But, <laughs> but yeah. it's just... Um, you've got to appreciate some you know, good editing. And uh, my, me and Michael were talking this week um, on the... Well, we were all we were on the, on the chat about the 100 Gex album being 20-something minutes. So listen to that, it's great. It's very compact everything trash and it's it, it's quite intense because of the fact it's like that there's no real break um but sometimes that's i appreciate that and like uh, we mentioned Joyce Mana like that with thirteen minute album that's just kind of all go it doesn't feel like a thirteen minute album <laughs> somehow. yeah um, it just packed together um and yeah so it's definitely something to be said for cutting thing editing things down as particularly i think there was a i think it's died a bit now but there was definitely a phase where it was like everything had to be long and it's definitely i think it's something that video games are still wrestling with but it's like considered bad if you pay the same amount of money for it's very much considered value for money based on how long it is which isn't a thing in like films or music yeah um which is like oh this game's only eight hours long i'm not paying the full price but it's like well is that really what it's about (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, suppo- I suppose the argument would be, well, games are a lot more expensive than a ticket to the movies or whatever, but um, but yes, uh, plenty of times I've played through a game and I've thought to myself, yeah, that was fun, but that was basically, that, that was padding. You know, that didn't really yeah. move the story, it wasn't a different bit of gameplay, it was the same gameplay, repeated, albeit in a marginally different setting.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, and no, I think that, get, that happens a lot because it's easier to do in games because it's, doesn't become repetitive as quickly because obviously you're still probably having fun doing it, but they de- it definitely happens so They have to pad it out to make it sound like it's long enough. So I also appreciate it when it's like, well, I say hours long. Deal with it. Yeah, um, and you can get some tight experiences there as well. So
1: I mean, when, when, it, but, yeah. when it comes to movies, I'm not actually sure what what the motivation is to make films three hours plus or close to three hours. Um, t- to me, if if a story takes that long, it probably should be a mini series on TV, rather than the movie. Um, you know, storytelling is about you know, keeping the story moving, telling what you need to tell. Uh, You should be able to get a lot from the characters from what they're not saying as much as what they are. So A lot of these films are kind of overloaded with dialogue. Um, I mean, he's one of our favourite directors on the pod, but certainly Tarantino's quite guilty of padding his films, I think, with um, some scenes that don't need to be in there. Certainly The Irishman as well, Martin Scorsese's latest. Came. I was just going to um, yeah, mention that. But it's kind of a different...
0: The fact it's three hours long is what kind of gives it its unique atmosphere of being quite slow, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of what it's about. So, yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think if you'd squish that in an hour and a half, it would just be a very different film. A lot of people would say it's better because most people I've spoken to think it's a bit boring and long, but I disagree. I really enjoyed it and thought it was great. But... But it is quite um, slow and, I guess, similar. It's almost like a boyhood vibe where it's...
1: Yeah, well, that one kind of had to be longer, didn't it? Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm... Off the top of your head, I'm going to go to Michael with this first. <laughs> Can you name me your favourite short film, or at least what you perceive to be short? I'm not going to hold you to it. Um... Like a film that at least feels like it was, you know, a blast through that you absolutely loved.
2: Yeah, well, I watched one last. Well, I don't know about a favourite, but I
1: watched one last week.
2: What was that? Um, well, in a sense, it's a stand-up film, but it isn't really. I think it's um, the Johnny Vegas special, "Who's Ready for Ice Cream," uh, directed oh, okay. directed by Stuart Lee, which is about an hour long, but incredibly high value for an hour. Cool. And I'm always Excellent. amazed that it's. I think it's a sort of bargain bucket DVD sort of release now, but I, th- I think it's a, a superb film.
1: Cool. Yeah, okay. I've, I've not heard of that no Sounds I've tricky. heard of it but I've never seen it are oh, you really should, it's class mm. Clive uh, do you have a is there a 90 minute film or you know less that's jumping to, out to you
0: not off the top of my head no so I'll probably have to look while you're talking and come back to you later on that there's nothing I can think of that where I was like yeah that was really short and really good
2: <laughs> I, mean, I, I think, can think I think there's a lot of great ni- 90 minute films
1: yeah yeah, for definite. yeah
2: definitely definitely
1: well, I'm. I'm gonna. There's many I could name, but the one I'm going to jump out at is because I mentioned Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs. That is a great. I'm not exactly sure if its running time, but it feels like a 19 minute film. Definitely, and I think the that's shortest what, film, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's why to to me it was arguably the strongest. Right. See, I. am Yeah. I. I. I was.
2: Um. I. I raised. I know what you mean about Tarantino, but I raised my eyebrows a little bit because I. I never feel that way because it feels like well, obviously his films come along so sparingly. That I'll take all I can
1: get. I think. So I think. I think the problem for me is, and this is, you know, I've I've enjoyed all of his films, even the ones I haven't liked as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the problem for me is the more he pads the film with dialogue, the more the characters seem to start sounding just like Tarantino speaking through them. Yeah. You know, I, I want I want to hear them. And granted, he's writing their dialogue; they're going to speak in a Tarantino manner, but. I, I, I want to be lost in their character, not just thinking to myself, Oh yeah, Tarantino's clever there. I want to be immersed rather than it's it's like when you're watching uh, you know, a quote unquote movie star rather than actor. Yeah. And you're thinking, Oh god, you know, Tom Cruise is doing well there and you don't want that, you know, you want to be thinking about the character and to me that break breaks the uh, the immersion. Mm, yeah, I understand the point, yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. I'm just going through a reverse here from sh- my shortest films on Letterboxd, which is where I like rate stuff and catalog what I've watched. Uh the first one to get a 9 is The Red Turtle. Great film. I don't know how long that is, but it's is a great film. I agree. Um I think it's probably still about an hour and a half though, isn't it? That, that
1: certainly don't remember it being it, like
0: It can't be a long one, The
1: Red Turtle. Surely not.
0: Good, to look it up now. The
1: man is looking great it
0: Great podcasting.
1: <laughs> one hour, 21 minutes. That counts as there short. There you go. Right. That is, yeah. I think, I think yeah, one, 19 minutes or less is what we're looking for around then. Cool. Cool.
0: Yeah, go see The Red Turtle. It's great. Um, I was initially I thinking Alien, but I looked it up and it's, it's actually two hours long, but it doesn't feel... It feels so tight and... Yeah, it feels like a really... I don't think you could cut anything from Alien. Alien's bloody great. It's one of my favourite films, and I think it's they're yeah. completely tight experience there's no there's no fat there (laughs) yeah cool um but cool let's go to michael michael what have you got for us this
2: week down in eagles cliff we need to make the noise do you know i was thinking i I should say that um my on my postal address it's eagles cliff i don't think i've ever mentioned this before but i live technically just outside of the uh the um where eagles cliff starts in what before before this um, before this estate was built was basically a hamlet uh, of Earle Nook.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm not sure I like that. Um, <laughs> how do you spell Earle? So you in a way, are L A Y. So in a way, you're saying you're a fraud, Michael. Is that, uh, is possibly, what you're yeah. For passing
2: myself off as an Eagles Cliffian. <laughs> Oh dear! I mean, we're not gonna. What noise are we gonna come up with for that? We're not, are we? So
1: no, we're not. We're gonna pretend
2: you didn't (laughs) say that, Michael. So do you live near Ambient Air Conditioning UK? Um, I mean, I didn't know that for a fact, but I think I think (laughs) I think I've seen them on the map before. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which is what I assume you're looking at.
0: Yeah, it is. (laughs) I just wasn't sure if I'd got the American uh, one. Um. Cool. Let's go.
2: Michael, what have you got for I've us? I've got uh, nothing that special, but a f- I'm just going to talk about some albums I listened to yesterday. Um, Clive's already spoiled one of them. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Oh, which is, that's fine, though. Um, so after we discussed Joyce Manor, as he referred to, I was listening to the album that, I, in that discussion I said was their classic, uh, Never Hung Over Again. Uh, that mm-hmm. one clocks in at a whopping 19 minutes. So Yeah. Longer than some of their earlier, more frenzied stuff. Um, but it, it's the exact point that I was going to make that Clive made was that it doesn't feel like 19 minutes, it feels like a fully accomplished album uh, when you listen to it. And that's because of the strength of the songs, uh, te- of which there are 10. Um, Joyce Manor are the. Um, I mean, it, the, I don't know how you would pigeonhole them exactly. They've definitely got some emo tendencies, but they're largely pop punk, but in a sort of indie rock style. Um, I think they draw quite heavily from uh, from uh, the you know the, the sort of time of Blink 182's Eight self titled album when their songwriting started to mature a bit, um, and I think you know they're, they're really a band um, grown out of that sort of influence, uh, as well as a lot of other things, obviously. But um, they hail from California and have a very sunny sound, I think. Um, even though their writing is often dealing with some fraught topics, they've just released a compilation album of songs from uh, from their early period, which I haven't heard, but which is apparently essential for Joyce Manor fans. And um, since Never Hung Over Again, they've released another two albums, which are both again in the same vein—ten tracks, uh, short albums, and more, str- more strong songs in there. Um, but I think Never Hung Over Again is their most their most focused and best effort in terms of quality. The second half of the album in particular contains some of their best tracks In my opinion Uh, Heart Tattoo In the Army Now And the closing track Which might be my favourite Joyce Manor song Heated Swimming Pool um, Which is uh, itself only a minute and fifty long uh, But a a really beautiful track Um, So that's one thing I'll be listening to Uh, They're a great band That people can check out And probably listen to all of their uh, their work In an afternoon if they wanted to Um, But yeah and then I was also listening to an album from um, the late '60s, which uh, I'm sure Clive's ears will uh, perk up at that. But um, I think wasn't involved in the uh, in the countdown at all that you did, Clive, from what I saw. Um, Kick out the jams by MC Five, the insurrectionary Detroit hard rock band. Um, essentially peers of uh, the Stooges, who are. Definitely one of my favourite bands of all time. Um, And what MC5 do on this record, which is a live recording, uh, which is quite unusual for a debut, I suppose, um, is basically at one with some of the stuff that was going on around then in the proto-punk movement with um, the Velvet Underground, especially on the White Light, White Heat album. Um, And also, as I mentioned, the Stooges, among other acts, but most notably those. Um... At times, it's 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 basically flamethrower hard rock, but it's it's at times it's a little bit psychedelical. Um, and a lot of the, if you look at the tracklist, a lot of the touchstones, references to rockets and starships, you know, really bring out this otherworldly sense of the possibilities of of uh, hard rock music at that time and punk, which would be heavily influenced by this music later on, um, about less than ten years later. So it this it's um I think it's it's, a, it's it's an essential album from the 60s and the fact that Clive's covered so many albums and there are still others like this that you know exist uh by the wayside shows you know how much there is mm-hmm. to explore during any decade but the 60s no exception even though the album was still only just coming really into fruition as a concept at that point. Uh so this is a uh, it's a great album, and uh, the title track was, of course, covered on Rage Against the Machines*' *Renegades*, uh, which I think probably drew some new fame uh, to the band, especially among a younger audience when that came out in 2000. Um, but that, it's, that, that's the best; that'll be the best-known track from the from the album. But there's uh, there's you know, some some classics strung throughout it, so a very good record uh, and a very influential one, as I mentioned. And then the other album I listened to yesterday um, is uh, well, an album that I revisit regularly, um, probably at least a couple of times a year. Uh, that's Mutter by Rammstein, who of course need no introduction, as the um, the most well, I would think the most probably the most famous German band in the world, and uh, the pinnacle of the Neue Deutsche Härte movement uh, of industrial influenced rock music coming out of germany in the 1990s um there's also some i mean there's there's a little bit of symphonic metal influence on this album but um heavily processed uh, it's got a very electronic focus the album sounds extremely clean and dynamic and demands to be played hard the first 5 tracks which include some of the band's signature songs such as Eekville, firefry firefly sona links 2 3 4 um, uh, is as is strong a run to open an album as you'll find really uh, but the second half also contains some of their finest deep cuts Zwitter and Rhine raus which is probably their heaviest song I think, certainly the heaviest riff in their catalogue uh, but it's, it's a tremendous album as a whole and what I've always admired about Rammstein is they've become a huge band who tour the world, selling out stadiums and arenas, and they've done it without compromising their sound and vision of what it means to be a band in any way whatsoever. Uh, and I think when that cuts through, that's really something to admire, and it's certainly applicable to them. Um, after Mutter, I have heard the material they've released since then. Um, there's certainly some gems throughout it. There are, as I said, they're a fascinating band, Uh really interesting act to look at to look at in terms of visu- visuals obviously in a live setting and also musically but i think mutter is their real peak and i do like their first two albums as well um i think this is when they were at their most exciting and freshest and uh mutter is their most concise album even though it's 11 tracks long it's really cut to the bone uh in t- in terms of um you know there's absolutely no filler on there whatsoever um so it's yeah it's an album that it's a strange one because um as i say i i'm I'm really interested in them and really admire them but i wouldn't i wouldn't rank them as one of my favorites or anything but this album i would really rank up there because i think it's it's the perfect distillation of a band at their peak and that's in many ways that's the that's the sort of thing you want to go to first when you're exploring a band for the first time um So I guess the same goes for all three of the albums I just mentioned in the context of the bands that they relate to. Mm. So
0: yeah. And that's, it's always a cool thing to have like a, well, one album that kind of encapsulates a band so well. I guess it depends how long a band or or even how diverse a band is as to whether that exists because Mm -hmm. if if bands go and, you know, try new things that's less likely to exist and you're probably more likely to have, this is the best of this era kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's a good point. It's always interesting. Always interesting when something sticks out and is like the, the the definitive work of theirs that you want to
2: listen to, and
0: uh, it's quite nice actually because it's like oh, I don't feel like I have to listen to the whole catalogue necessarily, and you yeah. still get loads out. It's of it. funny
2: that happens sometimes. You 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 get a, when you're from reading around things, you get attracted to an album more than you do a band, and then sometimes you yeah, might go definitely. you might go years before you listen to anything else by them, and if you turn out to if it turns out to be something you enjoy, you think well why did I do that? But it's just funny how sometimes our perceptions of a band and their legacy and what their best work is, according to other people, influence the way we approach them and listen to them?
1: That ha- that happens to me all the time. Uh, yeah. So you'll recommend me an album, for example, and I'll listen to it, and most of the time I agree with you. Um, but then I'll see they've got three or four other albums. And I think it's a bit daunting, and y- you kind of worry that you're not going to enjoy the other albums as much. You think, I'll stick with this one, I like this one. Yeah. And... Uh, Especially when you hear, oh, that was their weak album. You're like, oh, I better avoid that. Um, yeah, and it may, you
2: might totally disagree. Yeah, and it's it always interests me to think that obviously we we have contemporary bands that we we grow ourselves with and we we hear them as they release each each piece, and then p- bands from the past. A lot of people have gone through the same thing with, but we'll we can never be in that position. We can never experience them from the same angle as those people did, and it it's that's that's the interplay that's constantly hap- happening yeah. historically with music and all art forms. Um,
0: and something that's, like, particularly evident with the <laughs> 60s challenge I'm doing when I'm reading about the albums and, like, how they were initially perceived. Yeah. Um, a good example would be, like, uh, The Beatles' Abbey Road, which was apparently thought of as sounding a bit too artificial at the time. <laughs> Whereas listening at it now, you'd never think that because a, a, a studio trickery has come on so far that that sounds authentic to me. Um, yeah. And whereas at the time that was one of the things that was uh, written negatively about the album, um, Mm. which I obviously completely disagree with, but I can understand more if in the context of the time. But
2: yeah, yeah, that's the thing we we (coughs) can never we can never experience it in the same way. We can only be students of it, I guess.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's it's interesting in that
2: sense. On on that subject, I should mention that um, I know it was only not in there in the first place for 1967 because of the way you uh, you did it, Clive, the way you selected them. But uh, I was pleased mm-hmm. I was pleased to see Forever Changes make it onto your mop-up because it is one of the <laughs> finest 1960s albums, I think.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it, definitely. Yeah, it was when I, when I did the mop-up. I, I wanted to do the mop-up because I thought i have missed some stuff. Mainly there's a couple of live albums which don't go on the Rate Your Music list. Right. Um, because I think it doesn't do live albums even. They're obviously on Rate Your Music, but I don't think they're included on the top uh, decade list. Yeah. And then I just thought there's a few other things that I've missed and that was one of the ones that... I wanted to listen to, but there's so much stuff that every whenever I do a year, I ha- like I do it, so I have to do the top five, and then I, the rest I pick usually from the top twenty mm. based on what looks appealing. But there's always I could do all twenty, or even when I go further down the list, I'm like that looks good. <laughs> you could do like fucking thirty, forty for every year, but it would just take me forever. It would so. yeah, uh, uh, and there's gonna be it's gonna be like a skewed look at every year. Like I'll come out of it probably having loads and loads of new albums that I absolutely love, like. Um, yeah for sure but there'll probably be somewhere in each of the years i bet there's an album that i maybe would put as number 1 <laughs> but whether i'll ever hear it I that's don't know. the thing you
2: just don't know uh- <laughs> yeah that's why it's that's why there's always so much to mine and i know that yeah. you i know you referred you referred to uh, pitchforks 60s list a couple of times in in there and um i know that when when they first started doing decade lists years back they eschewed the 60s because they felt like the album format hadn't really come into its own And then it was only Mm -hmm. recently, really, that they they went back and did a 60s list, which I think was a wise thing to do because I really think there's such a wealth of superb albums from the 60s. And it is true that, you know, there might be more in abundance in later decades uh, where that that way of releasing music had become more firmly established. But there's still so much. And if you want to throw live albums and similar things into the mix, then even more so. So, yeah, I think the... the, um, no, there's obviously there's a canon of albums from the sixties, but there's a lot of other great stuff that people perhaps aren't as widely aware of.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think even before that it got thought of as like releasing it as an album, there were still great albums coming out. Yeah. Despite that, because <laughs> it was just an album of great music. It might not have had a particular theme, but I think there's still stuff now that comes out that doesn't necessarily thematically fit or anything. I was just gonna, say, yeah. cohesive, I was just
2: gonna say, I which... think we've come full circle in the sense that Something like the 100 Gex album that you re- we referred to mm-hmm. and had to talk about previously. If that had come out a few years ago, I might go. Well, that's not an album. It's not long enough. But now, now I don't think like that. You know. So I think yeah, it's it's similar. It's interesting to see how. I guess in in it's it might be cliche to say, it, but in response to changes in the attention span, um, what what constitutes an album has changed a little bit. I think. And it's all it's all good it all gets waved through for me. you know it needs to all be taken into consideration and the other example was i guess the Wyoming albums two years ago from from Kanye and Friends. They were all very mm-hmm. short um but they were album they felt like albums so so yeah i think the we we went i think probably the i guess eighties nineties maybe even nineties if you want were like the, were like the peak for the studio album. And even though a lot of this music we're talking about is is studio music, it feels like we're coming down the other side again, which is very interesting and exciting.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it, I guess it's a lot of what an album is, I guess, is a lot to do with, uh, in pitchfork view, maybe like the cohesiveness of it and of it, of it being thought of as an album, yeah. as opposed to maybe in the 60s, someone just went in the studio and recorded it. But I think it almost listening to it now, it still sounds cohesive because it, they they had, particularly early 60s, such limited recording a bit, you yeah. know, four tracks, no real... You had to be really fucking inventive to make it sound <laughs> <laughs> remotely different. And when you listen to some of the stuff they... Particularly the Frank Zappa um, album, Hot Rats, oh, yeah. some of the stuff he did on that to make the stuff sound... Because you like, the drums sound really weird. Or has he done that? And you, listen, you read how he's done it, and it's like, fucking. Yeah, you he's hell. A, whiz, a wizard. <laughs> whereas, yeah. now you just, whereas now you just press a button. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so everything kind of naturally sounded more cohesive anyway, I guess, because you, you couldn't really go too crazy. So stuff like... Mm. You know, early Aretha, you know Aretha Franklin albums are ever. They might not have been thought of as an album, but it's still great just because everything sounds cohesive and they're just great songs. And there's a certain. It's also capturing a certain era, which I suppose is a thing. Yeah. Almost makes it feel more of an album now than probably when it came that's, out in a weird way.
2: Yeah, that's but, the thing because I was like modern modern perceptions of it have probably influenced how it's perceived back yeah. over now which is probably why Pitchfork were more in a position to do a list like that when they did than 10 years previously.
0: Yeah, definitely. Cool, cool. Um, Having some good discussions this episode. I'm enjoying it. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I had some other things I wanted to comment on because obviously you commented on a lot of stuff there. Joyce Manor, big fan. Um, I think my favourite is probably the self-titled one, Mm -hmm. but I need to listen to them all again. That opinion was and i've not listened to the last couple.
2: Yeah, they wor- so, they're worth checking you- out. I don't think they're as st- strong like i said, but they've got they've got gems on them so they're worth it. And and yeah, i think the sorry, the the, the last one um million dollars to kill me was um i think that was that was probably perceived as being continuing uh, a mat- maturation of their sound so um uh, yeah, i oh. think it refines it to an extent, but they're still interesting. I'd still be I'd still be at the front of the queue to hear their next album whenever that is.
0: Definitely, and especially when you know it's not going to be particularly (laughs) long. And I didn't realise they'd done the collection of songs this year, so I'm going to check that out. I've just downloaded it. Yeah. So that'll be great. Um, Rammstein, obviously, yeah, I completely agree. And something that's so evident about the fact that they just do their sound uh, like no, they haven't compromised with it is the fact that they sing in German. There aren't many bands that sing in a language that isn't English and have become massive as bands. I think there's songs. I can't think of any bands that don't sing in English uh, that have become big. Uh, um, or musicians that feature uh, music prominently in another language.
1: The sure. Totenhausen are quite big, aren't they? Outside of Germany. Uh,
0: yeah, they're pretty big, but I don't think they're Rammstein-level. Well, they? no, probably to not. to most but people. But yeah, you're right. They've certainly managed to get outside, which is di- really difficult if you're from a, in a country that doesn't speak English. Like, it's very difficult to make your music heard outside. Like... There's a Swiss band I'm a big fan of called Suri Vest, and they're never going to be big anywhere else because a lot of it is um, what makes them good is the lyrics and the way he sings. Um, Right. And he's got a really unique singing style that I'd love to translate into English somehow because I don't think anyone really does it in English, which is kind of a talked... It's kind of a gruff talked but slightly sung... I don't know, it's hard to describe. Um, But yeah, they're a really good band who I'm certain if they sang in English, they'd be pretty big. Uh, but they sing in swiss german so they've got a very limited audience uh and, and it's not the type of music that would get out because like i say what makes it great is the singing and the lyrics
2: yeah i suppose that's that's related to till Lindemann from rammstein the way he does it is well i think it's very accessible isn't it it almost i mean i don't know but it seems very basic um and i think they write in that way um consciously it's what they do i think um, it's almost nursery rhyme like, I guess it feels like. But obviously, that contrasts with the style of the music. Which, well, the vo- the vocals as well. They do play around with you know Teutonic elements. That that perception of Germany, that stereotype that we have, um, and the music is sort of militaristic. And that's something that they played mm-hmm. around with on Links. I keep Links two, three, four. I suppose I should call it Links. Vy Dreyfier. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But uh, because that's obviously they were, um, because the Columbine killers were Rammstein fans, uh, they were fingered in the American media a lot as being somehow to blame for it, weren't they? And they wrote that song in response to that uh, to make the point that music can be militaristic but but leftist. And their point was that if they have a political stance, which doesn't come across in their music so much, then they're of the left, not the right. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so a, there's, there's it, all it, those elements at playing in their sound, I think.
1: Well, I mean. Yeah, there's definitely. Sorry, go on. I on. was just going to say, referring back to Columbine, obviously, Marilyn Manson got absolutely crucified over there yeah, as well.
2: Yeah, the, the difference with that was that Manson, they had nothing to. Manson had no relation whatsoever to it. They weren't Marilyn Manson fans, so that was even more absurd. Yeah. 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 That was just a cultural crusade, basically. Mm hmm. Uh,
0: it's the classic uh, blame game of uh, which the Americans love is to point at anything except except their own gun laws. Yeah, it, yeah. It, well, that, it, was the, that
2: was that was uh, I mean that was day zero for that, wasn't it? Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, it's 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 the music, it's the computer games, it's the movies, it's uh, anything but. <laughs> These the, exist everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anything but the abundance of weaponry, the ease of getting it, and the extremely violent culture. Um, yeah, I mean, ridiculous. I've just um, exactly, but yeah, you've you've. Uh, sorry, about no, it's
2: all right. I've got something. I've got something on Joyce Manor just to round it off. Whenever the Ramstein discussion's over, sorry. Okay, I was just, the last thing on the Rammstein thing, I
0: think you made a good point about the... the. It fits in very much with people's idea of Ger- Germany. Um, and I think people do think, like, German is a very kind of aggressive language. Yeah, that's... that's. It, 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 I think it sounds quite aggressive to English speakers. That's probably what I meant, yeah, um, exactly. Which is why it works so well for that type of music um, with its sort of, you know, the sort of harsh sounds that you get with German. And yeah. it's quite a... Um, I don't know, like a not phonetic rhythmic i don't know how to say it like it's quite it is you know it sounds quite robotic to an english speaker who doesn't understand german um yeah i'd imagine so i guess that's probably also and like you say they do have very simple lyric like things that you can actually sing along to even if you don't know what they that's mean very true, like yeah. ich will yeah which is mm-hmm. important <laughs> um but yeah definitely impressive go on let's finish on joyce Manor.
2: <laughs> oh yeah well i the only thing I, I looked this quote up because i remembered it and it's brilliant i think um I mentioned their last album Million Dollars to Kill Me uh, and the, the origin of the title is brilliant. I also mentioned the fact that I felt like they drew a lot from uh, Blink-182 and I, f- I forgot about this particular origin of this album title. So it's from um, it's from a comment Travis Barker, uh, Blink-182 drummer, made um, after he was involved in a plane crash in 2008. Apparently he was in a very, uh, very difficult, very dark place and uh, apparently offered a friend a million dollars to kill him. Um, and uh, Joyce Manor frontman Barry Johnson who by the way has the least rock and roll name ever but I love that about it Um, (laughs) uh, uh, this is the quote from him um, regarding using it as an album title, it just stuck in my head it's just the opposite of what everyone wants money and to not die, it's super rock and roll and that's always stuck with (laughs) me because I think that's a brilliant way to name an album
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I like it I didn't know that about it, I knew he was in a plane crash and it was all like pretty um rough and i I don't know how like i think it took him a long long time to recover from it and in fact i mean his recovery from it is remarkable like (laughs) he's he's doing something which is so physical yeah um the fact he can still do it just as well if not better than he could before is you know ridiculously impressive um
2: yeah always been a highly rated drummer as well hasn't
0: he he's superb yeah he's a great drummer and he's one of those like highly rated drummers who's actually He's just technically brilliant, even though he's a, he was in a punk. He started as a jazz drummer, I think, but obviously Blink One Eight Two were a punk band, so he wouldn't necessarily associate maybe with technical brilliance. Yeah, um, but he's he's a great drummer. Probably, he's probably comparable
2: easy. to um, Joey Jordison in that sense. I mean, um, mm. not don't play, you know, the most technically complicated metal music, but Jordison brings something to it with the way he played before he left the band.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's, there's quite a lot. Like Dave Grohl wasn't a particularly complicated drummer. Yeah. He's a great drummer. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Whereas I think Travis Barker is—he's I think he's technically way better than Dave Grohl in terms of you know, you could probably throw some really complex jazz stuff at Travis Barker to be able to play it. Um, you can just tell by the way he does his weird solos that there's some really complicated yeah. stuff going on. Like, like, uh, also and, yeah. it also feels good, and he knows when to just keep it simple, which I think is the key thing as a drummer. Yeah. I've always thought that um, Brad Wilk uh, for Age Against the Machine gets a rough time sometimes because people are like, oh, he's not very exciting. And I completely agree. But I think that's perfect for that band because I think you just can't have too many people being great. Um, So you've got to have someone... Setting a foundation, and I think with uh, raging Against i I'm you've got Tom Morello's ridiculously good guitar riffs. Yeah, and uh, I think if you get too exciting drumming over the top, it's going to ruin it. Exactly.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the way they work together, isn't it? I mean, a drummer's really got to anchor yeah. the whole thing in a sense. Um, well, and if you just if you if you throw in, it, it's not always going to work if you have um, you know people doing complicated things all together. Um, I think I guess a band that's jumping into my head who do do that and it works are Mastodon. Brandale is an incredible drummer, but they're all incredible musicians. But it still it still works together. But I think it easily couldn't, mm. you know.
0: I guess if that if, if that can work, and probably like they have to exchange where they're doing certain things, and you need to be good at that. Like it's your turn to do a solo. <laughs> I'm going to calm it down. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then kind of work off each other like that. I don't know. But um, having said that. Um, the jimmy hendrix experience one of our favorite bands from the 60s uh from my 60s challenge and i was already a big fan before but i'm an even bigger fan now and i think the way those three work together is um just fantastic and mitch mitchell is quite a, he's a really really busy drummer mm-hmm. um but i think that works really well with uh hendrix's like rough busy guitar work i don't know it's just how people work together but <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't think it would work if someone just laid a solid beat to hendrix's stuff because it isn't Solid in itself, in a weird way, it's quite floaty and jazzy. For sure, yeah. Um, and I think Mitch Mitchell uh, matches that perfectly. Whereas his style isn't very rock at all; it's quite jazzy, it's quite light touch. Mm-hmm. But
2: yeah, so. the, uh, they're the, the source of one of my controversial music opinions. So I think it's controversial. Hendrix, Hendrix, one of the best American musicians of all time. The Jimmy Hendrix Experience, one of the best British bands of all time. <laughs>
0: I remember you saying this before, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, they were. I mean, they were brought together by, um, I've forgotten his name, the producer, weren't they? In well, England, they're, so. they're
2: mostly British, and Hendrix was living in London mm. at the time, so.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, always get that in when I can. Certainly be- <laughs> It's one of your favourite so, talking points. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point, it's a good it is, point. It
0: is, it um, is. Cool, right, well, I guess it's down to me now. Yeah. Um, as am I am such a generous host, I'm going last, so let me just find my notes. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to talk about a book, which I feel like we, it's not been that long. Oh, I think I talked about 2001, not that long ago, so it's not been that long since i talked about a book. Uh, as you might expect, I have been uh, listened to this as an audiobook, and I think I've mentioned it on a couple of podcasts. I'm going to talk about A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Azeki, which I finished uh, the other week. Um, the audiobook is read by her, actually, which I'll get to later on, which isn't particularly... First time I've seen that, and I'm sure it's not massively uncommon, but certainly the first time I've seen it, because I guess a lot of writers don't necessarily want to read their own work or consider themselves good <laughs> at um, reading it, maybe. Um, so, A Tale for the Time Being It's a fictional novel narr- narrated by two characters kind of switching between the two. You'll have a couple, a few chapters of one and a few chapters of the other. Um, the first is a Japanese-American writer called Ruth, um, which makes me think that maybe there's a bit of an autobiographical theme to it. Um, a little bit living on an island off british columbia in canada with her husband oliver who's a kind of a planty i don't know if he's a botanist necessarily but does a lot of work with plants um she finds a diary washed up on the beach by her home and presumes it has come from japan uh, washed away by the tsunami because all the the writing's in japanese and it kind of lines up with when they were expecting to get stuff washed up from there from the tsunami um although it's a little bit early. The second narrator, as you might have guessed, is the writer of the diary, who is now NAO, an American-Japanese girl who grew up uh, to Japanese parents in America as her dad had a job in Silicon Valley. Then when that kind of went bust, when the bubble burst, they moved back to Japan when he lost his job. Um, The diary mainly focuses on her time. She's 16 at the time of writing the diary, mainly focuses on her time um, in Japan, adapting to school as a bit of an outsider, despite obviously um, looking Japanese and... uh, just having grown up in a different country and not really understand the japanese culture as much as the kids at the school uh troubles at home and her dad's struggles with a lot of depression uh, there's a big focus on she when she writes the diary she she's mentions that she intended it to be a book about her buddhist non-great-grandmother who she has a great relationship with but it ends up being a bit more self-centered than that with uh, a fair bit of mention of this buddhist great grandmother but certainly not just about her it's more about the life of now um who wrote the diary she's uh, the book is structured so that you kind of read the parts of the diary that ruth is reading and then it when it switches to ruth it's the bit that she was doing while reading that part or her reaction to that part that kind of thing so you feel as if you're reading along the diary along with ruth um which is a kind of a really interesting way to set out of the novel. and I think worked really well. It's got a really uh, the really broad scope. It is a heavily it's very it's a very people f- focused um, book. It's essentially about a whole load of different people trying to work out what life is about. And new characters emerge as the diary goes on, and Ruth tries to kind of link. Tries to turn the story real by finding somewhat. She's constantly looking for the people that now talking about in the diary, whether she can find them in real life, and um, and and work out you know some sort of real life link as to what's happening here. Um, which is interesting. It's a very that I think in initial description it can sound like it might be quite a twee book, and it absolutely isn't. It's very dark. Um, covers heavily themes of depression and suicide extensively. Kamikaze pilots in the World War become quite a big theme as well. Um, So it's quite, it's very dark, very kind of somber, slightly melancholy book. Um, But actually, when you've finished it, and I don't want to spoil anything, it's not really necessarily anything to do with the way it ends or anything. Um, It's just when I finished it, you feel. It's quite. It's. It just feels like a bit of a meditation on life and living in the now, in a way that when you finish it, you actually feel quite rejuvenated, in a strange way. Despite the fact it's been such a dark book, and it's not that you're relieved that it's finished or anything like that. There's just something uh, nice about it, and some of it comes from the stuff you read about with the Buddhist nun and her take on things. Um, but yeah, it's just really well, really well written. I would absolutely recommend the audiobook version um and it's interesting actually at the end because Ruth talks a little bit uh, in the sort of epilogue she does a little bit in the audiobook and just mentions that you know there's the book has some pi- uh, diagrams and stuff which add to the which add to the book that the, obviously couldn't be in the audiobook and that I've not seen but the audiobook has the fact that she delivers it in the way that she'd want it delivered and she talks as the characters in the way that she thinks they might talk which gives it that edge so there's kind of it's interesting to have two types of media of the same thing um obviously way more similar than a film of a book would be, but in a, a little bit like that, in that there's two probably quite different experiences if you read it. Um, if you either listen to the audiobook and or read it, and I imagine whichever one you do first is going to impact the way you um, appreciate the other one quite a lot. Um, so I am definitely want to get this book and look at it. Um, I'll definitely, I imagine when I first get it, I'm not going to read it straight away because I don't want to read it again <laughs> straight away. But I'd definitely be looking at the diagrams and see what is there. Um, and I imagine it's great uh, as a book too. But yeah, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. I thought it was really good. It's, it's pretty long. It's like four. I've just looked it up because I didn't know because obviously I've listened to the audio book, but it's 487 pages apparently. And it is quite slow. Um, and there are times where you're like, oh, well, we should just get on. But actually when you finish it, you're like, that makes complete sense. And a lot of the book is about that in a weird way. I guess in a similar way as we were saying about Scorsese's uh, The Irishman. The, the length of it play, plays into what it's trying to do. So, yeah, I'd highly recommend it. I thought it was great.
1: Can you remind me of the title again, please, Clive?
0: Yeah, it's A Tale for the Time Being. I think okay. it came... I should have figured out when it came out. I think it's 2013, something like that. Okay. I remember it being, like, one of those that sort of waterstones when I walked in and thought, oh, I should read that, and then never got around to it.
1: It's, it sounds very interesting. Um, I mean, I've got a whole heap of books that on my shelf already that I'm yet to read, but um, I am looking to add to that pile. Um, <laughs> well, this is... <laughs> What I tend to find happens is, as well, I tend to read the books that I've most recently bought, and then there are some books that mm. nearly never get read, although I've been trying during lockdown to cut down on that pile. Um, but yeah, this sounds it's, really good.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, I completely relate to that phenomenon. I've also got loads of books lying around that I haven't read, um, and I totally recommend it. It did come out in 2013, by the way. But it is, you get excited about a book, then you buy it and read it. And then quite often, if you don't read it straight away, it's been sat on your shelf. And because it's been sat on your shelf, you're almost less excited about it because it's become, I don't know, like more normalized and you've looked at it loads of times. Yeah. And you're just less likely that's to so go to it in some weird way, even though you have no idea what it's about or you haven't really read that's it. That's so true. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you def- I'm the same. Like recently, I've just moved into else. So I've moved out of my room and I had to... Have a significant uh, cut down of stuff, uh, as did L. To be fair to it, uh, <laughs> to move, so we could fit everything in, and there's still some shit in the basement to get rid of. But one of the main things is I had to go through all my books, and uh, and I'd already had a bit of a cull, um, but I really love books, so I'm never going to you know not have any, and I'm going to always have quite a few around. But I had to cut it down to my very very favourites, all the ones I hadn't read yet that I thought I probably would read at some point. And there were so many that I was like, I've had this for six years, and I've never read it, and I bet now that I've got rid of it, I'm more likely to read it in some strange way. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, it, I don't know, it's just weird. It's almost like, like, yeah, I've had it for seven years and I still haven't read it, so I'm probably not going to read it anytime soon.
1: I imagine you'll get a kind of a almost a book form of FOMO. You know, you'll have got rid of some of the mm. books and you think to yourself, um, oh, I probably wasn't going to read that. And then you'll have an urge out of nowhere. I love it though. One of the greatest sensations uh, in a very safe, and safe environment, middle class British life. Is reading a book off your shelf that you haven't read in ages with little expectation and then realizing you've had a masterpiece waiting for you for five years or whatever?
0: <laughs> yeah, no that's true, and I'm sure that would happen if I just read some of these bloody books <coughs> <coughs> so, but um yeah, well, there's a few actually that I did that one I can't remember where I did that with recently, but I did it i did I listened to an audiobook version of a book that I've had on my shelf for fucking ages, <laughs> and I was like, that was really bloody good, I should I read it <laughs> okay um. But yeah,
1: it, it, ha- it happens to me with films as well. You, you, there'll be some films I think I'll hear it's good, and I think yeah, I must watch that. And I'll come to you know picking a movie, and I'll think oh that sounds a bit difficult. I'm not quite in the mood for that right now. <laughs> and then I'll watch it, and then it's not difficult at all. It's extremely watchable. I was like, what the fuck was I thinking? I, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's weird. You have to have that like spark of excitement to give you the reason to. I don't know, yeah. like someone talking about has just talked about something it's like great okay i'm gonna get that and then we'll go then you'll start reading it straight away or listening to or it sp- straight away or watch it straight away
2: Or sometimes something and if you kind of let that spark die out you've uh, <laughs> sometimes it can be ages till you actually get around to doing it that's very true i think so sometimes something happens in the news and it's like oh that that kind of relates to that film that i've got waiting to watch or something mm. like that <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
0: yeah something makes you spark and think oh i should read that yeah no, that's very Someone just gives it a passing mention, even in something that you're watching, or someone, yeah. you see someone in a film reading a book that you've got on your shelf, and you're like, oh, I should read that.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird.
0: But yeah, this is definitely a great one I would recommend. Um, yeah, like I say, it's, it's a bit slow. So if you, uh, if people have a particular uh, hatred of slow books, then this might not be for them. But I think it's great and absolutely worth it. And yeah, really special. I can't really think of anything that I've read that's like it there
1: so cool great excellent um can I just quickly mention we're, we're kind of at the mark where we'll wrap this one up relatively soon um I've been also on a spate of re-watching uh, past you know classics or past favorites um I re-watched children of men the other day um which you know in a kind of pandemic world felt like it was fairly relevant and I don't think I'd quite realised how much The Last of Us owes to that film. Um, I mean, do you have the... Pl- You've seen it, haven't you, Clive? Sorry, say that again. Children, of, out. Ch- Children of Men, uh, are you...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have, but it, in fact, I've got in my head that I saw it with you, possibly in the cinema.
1: You might have done it. Well, I could or, be or, wrong. Or we might have watched it on DVD, but... Um,
0: yeah, maybe. But it's been so long that I don't really remember it massively. I know the plot, though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't have massively anything to say on it, you know, great film, everybody knows that, but like I said, I didn't realise quite how much specifically The Last of Us owes to it. I mean, obviously there's no zombies, but you've got an adoptive father-daughter travelling cross-country for an important purpose in The Last of Us, you know, it's because she is immune to this, you know, disease. Um, In Mm. Children of Men, it's because she's the only pregnant person in the world. Um, you've got enemies both on the fascist state and from the revolutionary kind of left wing Um, you've got even in Children Men you've got single shot action sequences that actually make you feel like you're in a computer game at times Um, Hmm. and I can't believe I didn't mention that when I was reviewing The Last of Us 2 so that's all I wanted to say Um, but yeah brilliant film Uh, still really holds up now and looks brilliant
0: I so need to watch it again it, 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 I watched it and liked it but as well, as, like I say it was a while ago probably before I appreciated the film format as much as I do now and I've had so many people say it's oh, bloody great and it's one of my favourites I just need to watch it again I think I really like it because it's the kind of dystopian stuff that, and it's got obviously a Clive in it so what more oh, do you want? Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: yeah, you know it's good if it's got a Clive in it um, th- um, Speaking of which, my search for a younger
0: Clive might, have, might be reaching a conclusion Right, um, okay because one of L's friends on uh, <laughs> was on Bumble, uh, the dating app and they f- spotted a clive who's thirty, sent a screenshot. So <laughs> does, unless he's using a unless he's using a pseudonym, could do, be on to winner.
1: Does he look thirty though? I've got a feeling that, you know You might be prematurely aged with by his name. I mean it hasn't happened to <laughs> you, but I feel like you must be the you must be the, you know, he, the exception that proves the rule.
0: That's all I'd say. He he looks more like you'd expect a thirty-year-old Clive to look, probably, than I do. But he doesn't. I don't think he looks old necessarily. He just looks a bit more normal, maybe.
1: I'm trying to picture him in my head. Um, His hairline thinning on top. um, Hairline (laughs) is receding. He wears glasses very similar to mine. Um, He's got a stubbly beard, kind of rounder but friendly face. Um, where's a shirt with a slim fit jumper on top? <laughs> How close am I?
0: <laughs> what a specific image. I don't think any of that was right, but <laughs> very 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 realised character, this Clive. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to write a book about do, him Do you
2: remember when um I've just rem- I've just had a flashback to when uh, I think it was the N sixty four year Nintendo used to put a hologram on things as a as a sort of seal of authenticity. And uh, I'm just—I'd like to see that on things that's uh, just saying contains a Clive. It's got the—it's uh, <laughs> got the—it's got the Clive hologram. <laughs>
0: Maybe I'll start that hologram. <laughs> yeah, there was something. I like. This, there's some sort of quality thing about that hologram. Yeah, it's got a fucking hologram on it. Yeah, you yeah, know it's, it's good. Although you know it's there good. Was quite a lot of shit N64 games that had <laughs> on. um that hologram. To be fair, I don't think I own any of them. But well, but yeah, you, you definitely bought it and thought. Yeah, I think there's maybe just as a young when you're a kid, you just like love holog. The idea of this little hologram stuff. Yeah, like getting but like getting it a shine. Yeah, exactly.
1: It it wasn't just a sticker. Before it became a hologram, it was just called the Nintendo Seal of Approval, uh, which is basically like the Krusty Brand Seal of Approval from The Simpsons. It didn't really mean a lot, but it felt like it was, you know, it was giving it some gravitas.
0: Yeah, exactly. Although there was some other shy at getting a Nintendo Seal of Approval. (laughs) Um,
2: But... (laughs) But yeah, and that probably still is. My, my dad recently found my N64 in the loft. Oh, uh, oh yeah, no. I, might, I might need <laughs> oh, yeah. to get that out. I reckon. Oh what, yeah, uh,
0: what games have you got on it? All the hits. I've
2: got yeah, the classics. Uh, Mario. I mean, Mario sixty four is the best thing I've ever played. I think. Um, it's still. It's one of my favourite games. Still, it's great. Do you know what was what was there that I played the shit out of? Uh, Lilac Wars could- Do you remember that?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What a game! game. Yeah, <laughs> I remember getting Star Wing on on the Super Nintendo. That was that that was like one of the first three D games, and it felt you know, wow, this is like nothing else. Yeah. And then Lilac was was. I don't know. I don't know how
2: it was received. Actually, I don't know about that era, but it felt super
1: think pretty
0: well i think it was pretty well received yeah. but it was very it's like a very short game to go through once but there's like the whole point of it is there's loads of different routes yeah there is yeah hard medium and easy yeah and there was a good um they redid it on the 3ds recently which was a really good all right it's the exact same game but they just like put it on there yeah. and it works really well juged j- zh- 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 up the graphics a little bit um yeah it's a great game i love lilac wars i used to play that a lot with um the n64 to me is my memory of like um which i think is still why i like nintendo it's just this nostalgic so i used to go see my dad like a couple of weeks every summer because he was in switzerland and that's the only time i'd see him and uh, me and my brother and him would just play nintendo games all the time so like playing any nintendo game gives me a slight warm fuzzy feeling for that yeah. <laughs> i guess <laughs> that time that no longer exists sure. um yeah, so that's. I've also just found my N64, and I was going to sell it, but I think I might just stick it in the I and keep it.
1: Yeah, yeah, that feels it like, feels like a keeper, unless you're really hard up on money, which fair enough if you are, you know. That it doesn't. It wouldn't even sell for loads. That's the thing.
2: I'm. I'm. I mean, so, I'm no. I'm no gaming fanatic, but N64. I had, a, I had a fair few consoles when I was younger, and I think the N64 is the one I'd keep. That most one to keep. So I don't know. But I, I, I think so, what, for whatever reason. There's something about it, like the cartridges, yeah, yeah. The, the weird controller.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah.
2: It's just a bit unlike the, anything else.
1: The controller was rubbish, and I'm still standing by that. As great a console as it was, but yeah. So many great games. Ocarina of Time.
0: Oh, classic.
1: P- possibly the best ever, or one of them. Certainly a
2: lot of people I need think to play so. that again.
0: Yeah. Mm hmm.
2: And uh, do you remember? Do you remember this? Obviously, this wasn't some amazing feat of gaming, but I do, I don't know if I had as much fun playing anything else. Mario Party, remember that?
1: Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. That's a, it's such a good. Um, there's nothing it's, like it's that anymore. Proper, like, where you it, sit in It's this, a proper yeah.
2: sleepover game. That one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah.
0: And there was a lot of Nintendo games like that because obviously you, a lot of them were playing on the same screen. That's what they were really good at. Like you had four controllers. Yeah. Straight away you could plug in. You played in the same console rather than online. Yeah. And you came round. And I feel like a lot of kids...
1: They're missing no, that I, I see this with my
0: little brother. Yeah, they... Like, my little brother, in a way, they socially game constantly because they're always online talking to each other, way more than we did because, obviously, we'd only be able to do it when we went to each other's houses. But they miss that, like, sleepover, we're just going to play loads of games thing yeah. where it's where it's a real novelty to be able to do that <laughs> and you're in the same room. Um, That's weird, yeah. And also, that just never really happens again, does it? Like, it's it, it, at school and then at uni and then... Afterwards, not so common anymore. Yeah. Maybe because everything's moved online and it's just not really so much of a thing, but...
1: It's a shame, isn't it? It is a shame. This feels like how we start the slow slide to becoming conservatives, you know, (laughs) not wanting the past past, (laughs) to change. I was just thinking, we sound like boomers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, all right, boomer. Yeah, move on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, there's definite positives to the online. Like I say, the online is way more accessible. So yeah. that's actually pretty cool that they can, like, the social gaming is almost entirely social for a lot of people, I think. It, yeah. It's tele- like speaking over telephone type social, but it's still social, um, which is interesting. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Well. Times change, not necessarily for the worse. No, <laughs> time moves on, and it's continuously moving. Ah, speaking of which unless unless it's interrupted by a queef oh I I thought we were going to put it right at the end but at the very end wow
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay we can do that I think you're referring there to plug time Al I'm supposed to have um, William Shatner ready and I haven't Uh, so right you're going to get another one off the cuff then Um, what can I is there something in particular I could listen to him in very quickly to get an example I don't know just in Star Trek maybe Right, that's what he was in, was
1: it? Because I literally don't know who you're on about. I know it's like one of those names that I've heard, but I Captain Kirk. Place it. Um, Singing well, that. Actually, probably not gonna be no, very useful. Listen to "Common People" by William Shatner. That's how you should be. <laughs> okay. That's what you're aiming for, really. Right. No, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> this, yeah, this should be interesting.
0: What? So he does a version of the song.
1: Yeah, and he, he doesn't really okay. sing it. He just kind of speaks it. Okay. In a in That's a rhythm. Right, okay. Like like, like Winnie doing five colours in her hair on a
2: stag do karaoke.
1: Oh Christ! Yeah. Didn't we didn't talking... know
2: the songs, so just spoke the
1: lyrics. <laughs> 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 Michael, if you can't, d- Michael, your job. By the way, if Clive feels he can't try this, you need to give him an off the cuff one uh, to, I've to try got, I've it. already got it ready okay oh you've got you've got an enough yeah, sure. I, I Hang on, I'm going to go. make this
0: more of a joint experience. I'm going to get this on my phone so that you can all hear it. <clears throat> William Shatner, common people <laughs> um because I just did it on my laptop, but it was really quiet, right okay. The picture's great. he just looks like he wants to die. No, I don't need any cycle routes. Google fuck off <laughs> here we go William Shatner's common people. <laughs> Oh, wow.
2: She told me that her dad was loaded I said <laughs> in that case I'll have a rum and Coca-Cola. She said fine. <laughs> and in thirty it seconds
0: sounds like time, the she said, true detective more than a little of Common People. Like people.
2: <laughs> I want to do whatever of People do. I want to sleep.
0: Okay, so it's quite deep. Whatever Common People do. It's quite radio. It can do yeah. that. <laughs> Right, okay, so um, here we are. It is a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Plug time. You can uh, follow us on at Stick (laughs) Around Cast on the Twitters. Um, We're also on Facebook. If you'd rather have a vomited sort of feed of what's on the Twitters, Uh, you can also find us on stickaroundpodcast.com, our lovely, lovely website, where we have articles about all sorts of things written by ourselves Uh, we've got articles about all the things that we talk about but the main thing you want obviously is Clive's album Challenge which is William Shatner approved um, (laughs) where he talks about his favourite albums of every year That we've talked a little bit about this episode he's now finished the 60s which is a feat greater than the climbing of Everest um, which means that I don't know when he does finish the challenge it's going to be an incomparable feat um so yeah go check that out oh slipped into clive there whoops hang on Let me just put my <laughs> william shatner hat back on um you can also find us on itunes give us five stars or one star we don't want two stars three stars or four stars that would be shit so please don't do that um yeah you can find us on other things i don't know enough about william shatner to throw in some sort of joke <laughs> No. um <laughs> This may to, have been ambitious. I nearly said to infinity and beyond, but that's... <laughs> well, yeah, go that's for that's it. Yeah, it, mix it in. <laughs> in. Yeah. Um, remember to go to stickaroundpodcast.com and remember, to infinity and beyond.
2: <laughs> that was a weird experience. <laughs> Do you want to know what you're doing next time, Clive, so you can prepare if you want? Yeah, please. Trump. Oh great! Oh wow!
0: <laughs> oh, I'm gonna fucking love this. Yes, I think I could probably do a fairly decent off the cuff one of that. Actually, yes,
1: um, I think I maybe could it would be better.
0: That. Yeah.
1: Okay, I think it's time, Clive, for the second queef and our reaction two, before right. we go. I don't know what to expect. So we've had
0: we've had uncontroversial queef We're about to get very controversial. Um, ready yourselves. It's again another short gem.
1: "Teenage Dirtbag" by Wheatus is in the top five best songs ever. <laughs> well, I mean, it might be one of my top five most listened songs. That's possible. Well, maybe not, but like, um, I doubt it. Yeah,
2: it's uh, a great it's, song. It's an I, anthem, isn't it? But it's—I mean, it's. Yeah, that is just not correct, is it? <laughs>
1: It's. I've, I saw uh, on Twitter this week actually uh, somebody talking about how you know at a wedding or a disco or you know um, reunion, uh, Mr. Brightside is extremely low hanging fruit. I think this song <laughs> is in that same bracket. Really, it's uh, you know it's guaranteed crowd pleaser. Yeah, I don't know about. A, it is. Not yeah, a, a yeah, wedding, there's something though. to be said for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have it at <laughs> my wedding. Yeah, I would. If that's not the point. <laughs>
0: Um, I don't think we played it at Josh's wedding. Me and Cable on, during our amazing DJ well, set. You missed,
1: missed Did you play that? Mr. Brightside?
0: We definitely played. Mis- we definitely sunk to that level. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I'm you're Wonderwall. allowed not
1: to anymore, <clears throat> <are> you? <laughs> it's the law.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the one that went down most well was a. Uh, proud mary weirdly similar, what uh, which which led to people like wheelbaring all over the dance floor and doing press-ups and it was just fucking madness <laughs> all all,
1: <laughs> all
0: francesca's side of the family i think i think there's some sort of in thing there that we just didn't know about.
2: <laughs> well, right. we accidentally stumbled across a joke
0: we accidentally stumbled across it yeah, yeah. although i can't remember if it got requested or not don't know it was on our list <laughs> but yeah it was just brilliant um
1: <laughs> I mean I'm gonna say that opinion of Josh's is semi controversial. I wouldn't say it's too you know I'm not outraged. I think, it's by
0: the, it. I think it's the level of the praise that's controversial. Like it is a good tune, but top five songs of all time, you feel like I don't know, that that's controversial.
2: If I get married you can do de- ever, you can DJ at my wedding clive and you can play whatever you want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow this is an open. Uh, that
1: hang just, on, that let, just let's, let's happened. stick. Let, let's just let's stick within the parameters this, this of the record- law, though. <laughs> you, you've still got to play, Mr. Brightside. You, you know, oh, well, if it's the law, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess with that. I mean,
0: I'm yeah. a crowd, I'm a born crowd pleaser, Althus.
2: I don't think it's. <laughs> well, there'll
0: be a few throat, few Yeah, I'm expecting, you know, yeah, expecting, you,
2: know you know, some cattle decap, obviously.
0: Can I? Will I also get a microphone? <laughs>
2: oh yeah.
0: Well, great, perfect. <laughs> it's
2: gonna be like feet over them, Yeah.
0: <laughs> or like Alan Partridge <laughs> now for a thick slice of Thin Lizzie,
2: <laughs> <laughs> who unfortunately is no longer still with us
0: <laughs> oh god it could be so good but so cringe
2: <laughs> oh dear I saw, um, I saw, I've got to mention this on Twitter the other day, someone had said uh, this is secretly the best line in I'm Alan Partridge, and it has always been one of my favourites I'm not going to say it's the best line but it is amazing when he goes, uh, now we've got a caller coming on who figures that he may be a gay um, but, so I'm only going to use his Christian name, it's Domingo in Little Oakley <laughs> <laughs>
1: he
2: goes, nope, nope, he's gone lovely little tapas place there
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.
0: great right we're on one hour 22 so i should probably call this to a call this to a close it's been it's been a particularly good episode i've enjoyed myself um, so, as i do every week but um mm-hmm. even more so than usual maybe well i say that every week so who, who the fuck knows um right so alex wayne has been alex wayne thanks for coming
1: Thank you for hosting, Clive.
0: You're welcome. Uh, we'll see which way the USB stick lands next time. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> Shall we be making that a feature, are we? No.
0: I think it might be a bring... don't, don't explain that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: and uh, we've had Michael Johnson being a great version of Michael Johnson. Thank you very much, Clive. You're welcome. And uh, we'll see you next week. Probably, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it'll be next week for some more whatever. Who knows what will happen. But remember... To stick
2: around, stick around.
0: around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick around.
1: Uh, the podcast that has requested a DNA test for the feces found on the podcast sofa.
2: Brought. <coughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just roll with it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brought to you by Gislen Maxwell House, the coffee that'll make you never sweat.